welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. Neil Timmons joins me here today, and you can learn what he and his band of misfits are up to by heading over to agentoptional.com. Again, it's agentoptional.com, and there's kind of a unique purpose to that name, but really appreciate your time here today, Neil. Jack, I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's good to see you again. Neil's been on the show previously, and I'm going to have a link in the show notes to kind of jump back into that episode as well. But love to spend a few minutes talking about agentsoptional.com, how you found your way to this new endeavor. But before we do, Neil, could you give kind of a brief summary of how you found your way into commercial real estate investing? Yeah, you bet. So was a realtor selling houses for years and years and years from Odery Max for a number of years. Eventually found myself at a, a spot where I had you know, a couple of dollars in my pocket and was like, all right, what do I what do I want to do past being an agent? I wanna I wanna invest. That led me into single family investing, you know, hundreds of homes, fix and flip, dozens of rental properties. And then eventually I got to the spot where it's going, you know what? These rental properties are nice, but they're not gonna get me to where I want to go what do I have to do to get there? And ultimately that, that stumbled me in and led me into commercial real estate investing about five, maybe six years ago and, uh, and have been very focused during that sense. Yeah. I don't know if you've had the same situation I have, but single family homes as rental properties hasn't been as appealing compared to when I first started. I'm of I'm of an extreme opinion now, Jack. I think is that I think it might be one of the greatest lies in the industry that somehow this is the is the holy grail. And I think it can be very lucrative, but you have it's an operations heavy business. You have to build tremendous structure and operations, and ultimately in house manage everything. And you got to add a lot of doors for it to to really add up in, in material money outside of you know hitting it rich, if you will, from, from appreciation, which when we underwrite, we don't account for that at all. It's, it's on the basis of cash flow. Well, that's just it. You, you mentioned cash flow. You know, everybody sold that dream that it's just mailbox money and it's just mm-hmm. going to show up even on a single family home. And however, when you take into account that a single family home on average is probably going to be generating two, $300 a month, it just takes one appliance to go out and it blows your whole cash flow for a year. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, that or had the experience I had, which was a couple of years ago now at this point, where we had the a water line from the street that connects up, the, where it connects, just on my side of the connection, break in the middle of a four-lane street. That took us hiring a professional plumber along with them to bring in their backhoe and cut out the street and shut it down for two days. And, and a house that I bought, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, somewhere in that range for $40,000 at the time that was getting just under $900 a month in rent and catcon a $14,000 plumbing bill. Well, mm-hmm. you know, the cash flow from that thing's gone for darn near a decade. Yeah. There's no amount of saving at $900 a month 
especially when there's a mortgage. Sure. You know, we're we're taught to set aside f- for expenditures like that, but try to save up enough to deal with something of that magnitude. Tough. It's a tough sled. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned before we hit record, you've learned that one of the best things you can do is serve those people that have been in similar positions as yourself, which brings us to the agent agent optional dot com can you explain a little bit i thought i think this is really interesting explain a little bit where this came about and who are you trying to serve yeah so you know for the last five or six years i've been buying commercial property had never taken a dollar from anybody no no outside investors and this year we're getting to the point where i'm looking forward on a you know one to three year basis i'm going all right in order for us to continue to to grow and to and to scale we're going to need to bring in some outside investors and so I was thinking, you know, who do we want to target? You know, what niche do we want to serve? And I hear a lot of outside people going, well, you know, doctors are great. They're wealthy and lawyers are great. And I'm like, yeah, that's all fine. But I know very little about doctors. I know enough about lawyers to know, to know that you'd like to avoid them if you can. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I was in a conference one day and I heard somebody say this, the person who you are best qualified to serve is the person who you used to be. And the person I was, you know, started my career at 24 years old, selling houses, became, became a, the number one REMAX agent in Iowa when I was 29 years old, owner REMAX for a number of years. And I thought, you know what? There is a population of, of real estate agents who know, like, and trust real estate as an asset class. But what they don't need, Jack, they don't need a second job. They don't need to go buy, you know, a house or two or 10 to stack that on. They'd like to participate in real estate. They just don't need it as another job. Just like the doctor or the lawyer doesn't need a job. They need to stay doing exactly what they do exceptionally well, serving their Mm -hmm. clients exceptionally well and deploying dollars on a strategic basis into real estate deals that that make sense. And so that's what we've created is agentoptional.com where agents get access to the deals in which we invest in and, and if and at times it lines up for what it is that they're seeking to achieve, well, wonderful. They, they come along, you know, with us, if you will, for the ride. So is there any particular categories in that commercial space that you focus on? Is it? Yeah, we're, we're heavily focused on industrial and flex. And for, for a lot of agents they are like, I have no idea what that means. And that's okay. You guys can, you know, we've got a video training series, totally free. You can get it on our website. And we talk about not only what we do, but then also industrial flex. I think for, for what it is that we're seeking to do is to be super boring. And what I mean by that is we're looking for results. I'm not looking for exciting developments, home runs that take a lot of risk. We're looking for very very strategic investments that we can make and ultimately produce cash flow for us because retirement, I say for everybody, retirement's a number, but it's not an age. Ultimately, retirement becomes on a cash flow basis when when your passive income exceeds your monthly expenses. And so for us, it's allowing agents to become optional should they choose, right? It's adding that additional stream of income for them that they just don't get from their normal course of business. So for those people that would be newer to this, could you kind of take a second and define what you mean by industrial and flex? Yeah. yeah. So an industrial is a, for us, it, in the best case scenario, it's just a, just a square box. 
metal or concrete, just a giant box. And the types of things that run out of there are like distribution centers. Like for example, you know, it wouldn't be investment we have, but as an example, an Amazon warehouse would be an industrial building, right? Holds giant amounts of things that get distributed out. That'd be an example of industrial property. And we have multiple types of people who occupy industrial property. For example, one of the largest grocer here in my state, Hy-Vee is the name of it. We have a building and they run their bakery out of it. It's an industrial property, but they happen to run their bake goods out of it, which is like, by the way, the to going to a property, it's like the best property to go to, especially this time of year. You and I are recording this just days before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Nothing but nothing but uh, pies coming out of that place. Uh, and yeah. a, a flex property, I say flex property is like the mullet of commercial real estate. So you, mm-hmm. you typically have an office in the front and a warehouse in the back. That's what I mean by the mullet of, of commercial real estate. Sure. So the, the type of places, you know, has a little retail front and in the back, you know, a big 10, 12, 14 foot overhead door that rolls up. So perhaps a granite place runs its operations out of a flex type property, right? They need a little office up front, not very big to, to showcase some mm-hmm. of their wares. And then in the back. You know, they have a bunch of storage and trucks can come in and out, plumbing places, a number of home builders, smaller home builders occupy themselves in a flex space. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So, and that kind of leads me to my next concept and question there with, with the whole, you know, now that we're out of the pandemic and there's a lot of work from home type scenarios, you're describing two commercial properties that probably have had very little change now that the economy is kind of back to force again, where they still need these type of spaces compared to small offices and the like. You hit it on the head. In fact, there has been a change, but it's been the opposite. It's been tremendous demand for, for what's taking place in that in that space. And certainly in both categories. Industrial is a big one because of a couple of factors, one being the fact that we've had COVID and a lot of people in the manufacturing industry and certainly in the distribution industry realized on the backside of COVID that our supply chain is largely damaged, that we cannot rely on everything to be produced from China and that it to get over here, that ultimately just in time delivery, it doesn't really work. And so what you're seeing is a thing called reshoring or, or onshoring. A lot of manufacturing and distributors coming back to the United States. So there has actually been a tremendous demand for space for for manufacturing for industrial property in particular. And so we've seen a large increase in an uptick there. You know, one of the things I like about this industrial side is that unlike say a tenant inside of an apartment, for example, you know, there you'd typically see a one-year lease is here you'd see a five, 10, or 15-year lease. So oftentimes we can plan out our cash flows and, and the investment to know what's it going to look like in three years that, to create greater stability in our returns. Have you seen any traction or, or changes regarding the supply chain then when it comes to, you mentioned Amazon. Amazon is is building out a lot more satellite warehouses. I mean, we even have one locally now where, and, and it seemed like overnight where it would take a couple days, which seems still silly of me to say this. It would take a couple days for me to get my package from Amazon, but now I'll get something like the next day. 
So you're seeing these smaller distribution yeah. centers popping up. You're right. And in some cases, you can get it delivered as fast as today, depending where you're at and what the item is. Right. You're exactly right. That last mile delivery is becoming more and more important. And you think of us as as consumers. I mean, we're not we're not becoming more patient somehow, right? And as, mm-hmm. as you move that direction, you're gonna you're gonna see more of that and certainly expedited delivery. And not just from Amazon. You know, Amazon certainly is the the eight hundred pound gorilla in in that world and online retail. But there's a bunch of other people who who participate in that area. And so you'll see more and more of that. And that also means, you know, the manufacturers and all the other people who supply the manufacturers with goods or do any sort of distribution have increased continuance, have increased demands in their, and for additional space. Are there any particular markets that you're focusing on? Yeah, we love the Midwest. I'm right here in Des Moines, Iowa, a flyover country and in which which is wonderful because it keeps some of the our our coast competitors out of it, but so yes, we we love we love right here in the Midwest. Everything Iowa touches, Wisconsin, Minnesota, live like North Dakota, like South Dakota a lot. Omaha in into Nebraska where I went to school, and then down into to Kansas and Missouri. We've been as far south as Little Rock, Arkansas. My head of our salesperson lives out of out of the market there. And so there's some uniqueness to to Little Rock and tremendous demand. You think of and then up in northwest Arkansas, you know, Walmart's headquartered there. And that means just about anybody who supplies to Walmart has significant footprint there. A tremendous sure. amount of, of activity going on in that market as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So is there anything in particular that you're looking for in these properties? Like what would your underwriting or qualifications yeah. look like? What's, I'll give you our sweet spot. Our sweet spot really is twenty to 60,000 square feet. Love a single tenant, single tenant, triple net deal. We certainly buy multi-tenant properties as well. And then we're looking, we're looking for certain clear heights. So inside of, a, inside of industrial clear height, you know, from floor to ceiling, what's that clear span, that clear height is a big deal. And so depending on where we're at, you know, we're typically looking at 16 foot minimums, 18 is a little more ideal as we start at about 20,000. And then the bigger that building gets, the higher that clear height needs to be. So, you know, on a brand new construction today, for example, a lot of brand new construction buildings are 150 or 200,000 square feet, and they're at 32 to 34 on clear height. And so you'll find us operating in these B-class buildings, these B-class areas, solid places that they could never reconstruct. And that that also gives us an insulation, a buffer. For example, you know, if we buy a building that's $80 a square foot, for example, to reconstruct that building at 30,000 square feet probably costs $150 to $175 a square foot. And so it there is no competitors coming back in and building that building. The buildings today have gotten much, much grander, much bigger. I would imagine that depending on the cities and the ordinances too, they're just there's a bigger hurdle there to to cross in order to get something like that constructed. And as a result of getting something like that small constructed, what you know, what do you need? Small lots. Well, though developers don't love the idea of developing small lots. They want to get something done on a much bigger scale. And so you're right. Mm-hmm. All of those additional factors as barriers all mean additional costs, which means a higher cost per square foot, 
and when we buy you know this this kind of 20 to 40 year old product we feel like we've got a well we're well insulated between you know what's the competition going to look like the competition is what's already existing and so when you get your head wrapped around that along with the the demand for space feel like we've got a, a nice downward buffer mm-hmm just to remind everybody, head over to agentoptional.com to take advantage of what Neil is talking about. Check out the videos and content there for some additional insight. If you found some value in what we're talking about so far today, do us a quick favor and share it with one of your real estate investing friends. So Neil, I'd be curious then, based on your experience, what have been your overall average of returns and how does that portfolio stacking up? Yeah. So it, it, good question. We haven't taken a lot full cycle because we like to hold on to these properties because what we're in it ultimately is for cash flow. Our intent is to build a nice ongoing cash flow stream that that ultimately gives our passive investors, realtors, passive income so that they be, can become agent optional instead of instead of just cashing a check, just selling the property. And then, so what we've done, unlike I think other folks in the, you know, we're a syndicator, meaning we we create opportunities and we allow other people to come in and invest alongside us. So unlike our brethren in the industry, which I'm not knocking them, there just is a material difference. They're largely compensated by transacting, meaning by creating an exit, by selling that property. And Warren Buffett, you know, I went to school in Omaha. I drove by Warren Buffett's house, personal house, every single day I was in school there. You know, one of the things that he said is never is the best time to sell a great investment. And so we believe the same exact strategy. Now, if we can strategically do a refinance and distribute money back to our investors because the property is appreciated, well, wonderful. That's exactly what we want to do. But we never want to kill that that goose that lays the golden egg. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, earlier you mentioned that agent optional, you're serving somebody that, you know, you've been there, done that. What I think is interesting is that I run into, I would say a majority of the agents, whether it's commercial or otherwise, they work with investors on a, on a regular basis, buying and selling properties. They're seeing portfolios building, but then they never take the jump themselves. Could you talk a little bit about maybe some of those other, I would say, benefits to an individual who is actually selling commercial property or selling real estate for that matter? Yeah. It seems like there's a there's a new level of understanding when you're involved in it, even at a passive state. No doubt about it. You know, what are the biggest reasons? Because I see the same exact thing, Jack. And we ask the question to, to folks when they when they, you know come along, we have conversations with folks to see if we're a fit or they invest with us, is to tell us about your experience. And a lot of people say the same thing. Occasionally, people have invested in houses or a few things enough to know that going, you know, I know I don't want to do this. I like the what the, everybody's after is we all want the outcome, right? The cash flow. And I think some of the people get exposed to the house side of things and realize it's not as easy as 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 the books and the the, the videos and the gurus would make it out to be. And so, you know, the big thing they get from us is you got to be a limited investor, which means, yes, you got to understand all the things that we do, but you don't have to go sign a mortgage. You don't have to participate in the management. You don't have to get the phone calls. You don't have to deal with all the things that go into 
the execution of the business plan. But what do you get? You get you get to derive the benefits. You obviously have in exchange. You you, know, you put in capital to work, and you get rewarded in the shape of cash flow and the shape of depreciation. So you can reduce that passive, you know, some of your income, passive or active, depending on how your your tax is an agent today. So you get and you get the upside of the appreciation as well. So kind of a for the right people. You know, if somebody's super active, they want to get involved and do everything, you know, it's not, it's not the best for them, but for the, those who want the benefits of real estate, not, not going and finding a REIT in the, on wall street, because then you're exposed to the public markets, right? All the ups and downs of the stock market It's for people who, you know, know, like trust real estate, want to participate in it and have, have to be able to make their decisions as they go and get out of the stock market or not be so exposed to the whims of the stock market. Mm-hmm. I was going to dive into that a little bit. Like uh, you kind of answered it. Who is this made for? And it, what type of questions should they be asking themselves or you before they got involved? Yeah. Well, the best thing to do to ask those questions is, you know, go to agent optional and, and get our free resources. Yes. But then, you know, the best thing would be to do when it makes sense to schedule a call with us Ava Baucamp's the head of our investor relations and have a call with her. She's going to spend, you know, 20 to 20 to 60 minutes with you to understand your experience. And then you can understand about us. Ultimately, it's about finding, you know, are we a fit for each other? And for some people, the answer is for sure. And for, for other folks, you're going, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just not for me. And we want to, we want to understand that as much, understand you as much as we want you to understand us. Right. So could you talk a little bit about, uh, share a story of somebody who jumped in and, and what type of experience they've had so far? Yeah. So we've got, we, we just raised here in uh, July or July or August, we just raised, did our first raise. And so prior to that, all I've written every check for, for ultimately a fair bit of, a fair bit of commercial property. And so we have one under contract right now. We're working through due diligence. So we may or may not be raising here at the end of this year. So I will certainly let you know. But for example, one, we got referred over to somebody here earlier this year who who got involved with us on our last deal that we purchased. They're referred by somebody else who I've known well for, for years. And they have, you know, their interest is passive income. All, that's all they wanted. They're not concerned about when's this going to sell? When are you going to come full cycle on this? It's all I want to do is get to a spot where I become optional in my job. Because if if I choose to continue to do it, wonderful. I can choose who I want to work with, when I want to work, but I don't have to feel like I have to go and grind. I don't feel like I have to answer the phone call at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night to feel like I have to be there on Saturday or Sunday to do something that perhaps I just don't want to do it. Perhaps I want to spend more time with the kids. Perhaps I want to go on vacation and not have to worry about not earning while I'm not there. And so we're only a handful of months into it. That that particular asset has gone better than expected. And I, I think overall, been a very positive experience for that investor. I'd be curious, you know, based on what we've talked about up until now, you have a vast experience as an agent Mm-hmm. As an investor, now a commercial investor, syndicator, what is the biggest lesson you've learned along the way that has had a direct impact on your on your business now? Building the right team, surrounding yourself with the right people. 
for sure. So when I was an agent, you know, I became the number one Remax agent in Iowa when I was 29 years old, sold 210 or 11 homes that year, and ultimately built that through a team, executed through a team. And so we flipped several hundred homes here in, in Des Moines, did it through a team. And so the, uh, building and adding on stacking commercial property for my own portfolio, did it through a team. And and what we're doing now, executing at the level we're executing, is it's with the right people. There's no way around it, and especially with commercial real estate. You know, anybody could go flip one home themselves or themselves in the right contractor. You don't need a lot, but commercial real estate really lends itself to building a team. It's a very team structure, and our investors, agents, are part of that team. They're a piece of that that puzzle, and just like we are a piece of their puzzle for them to execute and get get positive returns. You mentioned uh, discovering having the right team at 29 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, some would say that that's still relatively young in in the grand scheme of things. But it seems like you learned to in to make that investment fairly early on. And there's a lot of us old timers now that are are that still struggle with the concept of it being an investment. Sure. Versus it being an expense or, or additional troubles. What would you tell those people to get past that mindset? To get past that mindset, I heard a quote, I you know, must have been from some sort of training I did years and years ago. I was probably in my twenties for sure when I heard this. And the quote was maybe Gary Keller said it. So it, it's certainly in that vein of of a of a of a Gary Keller quote that you're just one higher away from being a millionaire. And it, it speaks, and when you when you go down that rabbit hole, it's like, what, what does that really mean? Well, you're going to be able to add leverage. What are the things in my in my day to day that I that one does not enjoy and is not good at? Those are the first things that need to go. And if you can figure out how to get in your lane, do the things, Jack, that you do better than any other human on the planet. Once you can figure out how to live in that that little sphere, tremendous things can happen. And and Tremendous dollars get added to that, to where that be that that investment in somebody else to allow you to get there is truly an investment, is not a cost. You know that that's important to, to point out is that we focus so much as a syndicator in your situation or or what have you. We're we're always so focused on leveraging other people's money, leveraging banks' mm. money. It's, it's all about that type of focus, but we rarely take a second to consider what other things we can leverage, including other people's time and energy. You're, you're right about that. And it, it's, it's interesting, but you're, you're spot on. It does become an afterthought for a lot of folks. Yeah. And that's actually probably, now that you say that, I'm thinking out loud here, that that's actually probably where the gold can be achieved. And that when you say you are one higher away from being a millionaire. I've never heard that phrase before, and it makes a lot of sense. It's it is. There's tremendous power in putting that that right team together. Not only is there tremendous power in in what it can do for your own your your own worth financially and, and the worth of others, but for the ability to create a mission focused environment, to create an environment where it's not just I win, it's we win. Uh, there is a deeper reward that you'll you'll get from that environment than than any check could ever give you. Just remind everybody, agentoptional.com. 
Uh, Neil, this has been a great conversation, but before I let you go, we're going to jump into some rapid fire questions. And I don't know if I've put you through this before. I don't remember, but I'm, I'm now prepared. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At least mentally. So you shared you shared what you thought is a lie that we tell each other previously at the beginning of this episode, but what lie do real estate investors tell themselves and others? What lie do the real estate investors tell themselves and others? That cash is king. I think that's a that's a I think that's a big lie. Well, I think it's important. I think cash flow is king. Mm-hmm. Do you have a book recommendation or what are you reading right now? My book recommendation would be Winning Through Intimidation. Winning through, not winning by. So winning through it. Intimidation, you'll have to, uh, the, the author escapes me off the top of my head. Great book. It's an, old, it's an oldie and a goodie. Okay. What is one tool you can't live without, whether it's in your personal or business world? <laughs> your, your questions are incredible, Jack. they really are because it forces me to think and reflect because i'm i'm like i know there's lots of there's lots of tools that i cannot live without i i will i'll default i'm gonna i'm sure it's been said too many times here but i'm gonna say chat gpt i cannot live without right now you're the first one to say that one all right and i've learned i've been using that quite a bit lately as well it's it's been a a great tool to at least get a starting point on some things. Yes, it's great. You know, sometimes, you know, dialogue, talking to somebody else, I find at times is so much better than text because you can bounce ideas off. I just can't get text. So occasionally I'll, I'll just get on the phone with somebody and we'll just walk through whatever it may be. And I find chat GPT is like having that other person. It's good to go. Oh, I didn't think about that. And then it just leads you down allows you to think differently or allows you to think down a different path. Sure. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? One piece of advice would be to think further ahead, think further out. So in, as an agent, for example, it was always, how do we sell a home this week, this month? How do we do five? How do we do 10? And I spent a lot of time transacting and i think i suspect not enough time planning out to where where i want to be in five or 10 or 15 or 20 years and i think had i had available to me what we have created an avenue for somebody to to deploy in real estate i think my my world would be different financially today because i would have been i would have been much further ahead on a passive income basis and I'm sorry to do this to you, but I'm going to give you one more and you're going to be the first one to get it. Brand. Can you give me one thing, whether it's a process or tool that you have implemented that has had the biggest impact on freeing up your time? Freeing up my time. Well, the tool would be Vimeo and our process would be anytime I get to a spot where you know I, I'm not good at it and I don't like it. It's what it's for me to create a process. It's literally just open up Google Docs, name the process, and hit video, Vimeo, hit record. And I've got a little my taskbar up in the corner here and just record just like this. And I, mm-hmm. I just did, we, I just created a new asset management process, refined ours. So not really new, but refined it this morning. And I shot probably a dozen videos walking through 
step by step. Here's what has to be done. Here's how to do this one thing. Here's the one task, new video. Here's the next task. And that has been tremendous because all I have to do is create that document once and send it off. And I, I no longer am involved in the process of creating that thing every month. No, that's a great, great tip. Once again, agentoptional.com. That's going to be a clickable link in the show notes. But before I let you go, Neil, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? You are so thorough on this. No, you, from my standpoint, you've covered everything and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I appreciate it, Neil. Again, agentoptional.com. You're welcome back anytime. I hope you take me up on that. And but we'll talk to you again next time. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.